I'm Daria Rose, and this is The Foodist Podcast, where real people use real food to get healthy and lose weight without dieting. Hello, and welcome to The Foodist Podcast. I'm Daria Rose. Today, we have a wonderful and inspirational success story with Jamie. Jamie is actually a health professional, and she is a therapist that works with people with eating disorders and other other food-related issues, but she has had her own success story uh, since finding Summer Tomato, which I'm, I'm and this this podcast and and my book and my work, which I'm I'm very touched by. So I wanted to chat with her and see what changed. And it was particularly interesting given her background, obviously, like knowing the psychology and what goes into that aspect of healthy eating. This is somebody who already ate pretty healthy beforehand, but she discovered the farmer's market and really, really got in touch with her values throughout this process. And it's it's really cool to hear how happy and excited she is. I was especially interested in hearing how she did it because, well, we have very similar stories. I, we were both sort of into the nutritionism of the 90s and eating Nutri-grain bars and all that stuff. And so in that sense, we were very similar. However, when I went through this process, I was a student and mainly taking care of myself, but she already had a family and two young children. So, well, not that young. She has two boys. They're 10 and 13. So hearing how she was able to negotiate making these changes in her household, I found very, very fascinating. And she has a lot of great tips for parents out there who are trying to make changes for themselves and their family for health and other wonderfully inspiring reasons. So this is Jamie's story. I think it's, uh, she's great. She's very, very eloquent and explains all of her methods really well. So I think you'll learn a lot. Also, if you would like to be a guest on the show, I would love to hear from you, whether you want to share a success story that you've had as a result of making changes in your diet or health style routine, or if you'd like to be coached on the show and get some help from me on a specific problem or habit you're working on and haven't had success with, go to summertomato.com slash podcast and fill out the form there. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Daria. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. You are a success story and we haven't had one in a while, so (laughs) that's great. (laughs) I'm always really inspired by how people find their way to a health style that they love because there's, I always find that there's gems in there, just little, little tweaks and little hacks and little fixes that seem small, but they're so important. And those little things can just turn on a light bulb in someone else's head and be like, Oh gosh, I can totally do that. Like on a problem they've been stuck on for a really mm-hmm. long time. So it's, I, I love success stories. I wish, I wish more people would call it success. <laughs> Most people just call it problems, <laughs> but, um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, especially especially given your background in um, mental health and eating disorders. So, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about how how you got here? Okay, yeah, I um I'm really excited to speak with you too, Daria. Um, I feel like you've been instrumental in helping me shape how I look at food and how my family looks at food, uh, as well as um, I am in mental health, so I use a lot of the things that. Uh, you talk about on your blog and in your podcast with clients that I see the approach of just being more holistic and not looking for like the next fix. So I would say 
with my story, I have always been surrounded by good, healthy food. My mom actually got her degree in food science nutrition when she was in college. Cool. And yeah, it was really cool. So so growing up, I remember watching her. She was, um, you know, this was in the you know early 90s, late 80s, teaching step aerobics classes and helping women uh, in our living room, you know, doing the caliper measurements and helping them figure out how to uh, lead their own health style. At that time, things were a little bit different. You know, it was all low fat. <laughs> <laughs> I have like, I'm like picturing like my mom in like stretchy pants. Yes, and, with like, the unitard with the and uni- everything. Yes. <laughs> and, like, the, my mom would wear like a thong over her, yes. like a thong leotard to the gym. <laughs> right. Yeah. It sounds like she was rocking it. So <laughs> Like leg we, warmers. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> we have the same memories. So, um, so growing up, you know, overall, my mom had, um, healthy foods in the house. She did not like to cook. So she described herself more as um, a mixer. You know, she would take, you know, some ragu or some kind of spaghetti sauce and mix some broccoli in there and then serve that on some noodles. And we would call that dinner or and then follow that up with healthy choice ice cream or something like that. So that that was kind of how I viewed food throughout my childhood and through college and exercise was always an important part of my life. And then going into my undergraduate degree, uh, in my master's degree in psychology, I continued to follow some of those patterns and I realized how important food was and exercise was when it comes to managing your emotional states. Mm. So I would exercise every day and I would eat healthy foods in order to maintain my sanity, <laughs> especially <laughs> as I started working with patients. And then about two years ago, I was uh, doing some research and I came across your blog And uh, I really appreciated all the scientifically validated research that I found uh, in the articles that you would post and the links that you would post and in the things that you would write yourself. I thought it was um, strange. You would post all of these pictures of the farmer's market. I started looking at your stuff way earlier. I know you don't do that anymore, but Mm -hmm. I would think, okay, what's this all about? And I'd scroll through it and then I'd read the articles and I'd see more, you know, pictures and posts about farmer's markets. (laughs) And it was funny because... It, that in and of itself just started to intrigue me a little bit. I live in Phoenix, so it's 115 degrees in July and August. And that was about the time that I had start, started to uh, read your posts. And so there wasn't much going on in, in terms of the farmer's market at that moment. But when it became October, I went myself to the farmer's market. And I just, I would say that was one of the big moments for me where there was a, a shift in the way I thought about food and feeding my family. And I definitely gained a greater appreciation for the fresh produce and the farmers. And I became really excited about preparing dishes myself. I wish you could see the big smile on my face right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, it, it's really funny because now uh, it's such an integral part uh, in how we operate here. And it's also really exposed us to a lot of fruits and vegetables that we never had eaten before. In fact, it's it's funny. Um, I had been seeing these huge watermelon radishes at the farmer's mm-hmm. market. I'd never liked radishes. I'd had them in salads and things like that, and they just had that bite to them. Right. Um, and so I was talking to the farmer that was selling them. I said, how do you prepare these? And he said, if you roast them, it makes them a little bit more mild. Yeah, um, sweeter. Yes, yes. Almost kind of the consistency of a potato. And I love sweet potatoes. Um, I love all, all sorts of squashes. And 
So I uh, took it home anyway, and I cut it up, and I just stuck it in with the rest of what I was roasting for that day. And my 10-year-old walked in just totally spontaneously and said, can I try this? And he just picked some up and ate it. And he said, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty good. And then he just continued on his way. And I thought, oh, my goodness, here's a, a <laughs> moment where, you know, he and I both for the first time in our lives had a watermelon radish without any fight or, you know, <laughs> argument about eating something new. It just has become a part of our lives and I how we're that. doing things. Yeah, it's That's really fantastic. neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, the, I mean, I know everybody has their own story and journey as to what sort of it clicks for them mm-hmm. on like what it means to eat healthy and what it means to eat real food. And for me, it was exactly the same. It was the farmer's market. And yeah, I used to, for those who haven't been following me for 10 years, <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to do a weekly farmer's market update and it just became exhausting. I would spend my entire Saturday like editing oh, photos from the farmer's market, which I'm not a photographer. Like, and it was just, it was becoming too much. And I, and they weren't particularly insightful every week after doing it for many, many years. It's like, you know, I kind of got over that a little bit, but it is still like my favorite place on earth. Like if anybody mm-hmm. comes to San Francisco, please go to the Ferry Building on oh, Saturday. Yeah. It is just life changing. It is so beautiful. And and it, and I had the exact experience as you. I like I realized that a carrot is not a carrot. Right. That I had no idea what an mm-hmm. apple was. Like right. the apples at the grocery store are, like are disgusting. Like yes. they're so I gross. Mean, it, and they're there year round. It's so confusing. I only get them from like September to and beginning of November. And they're right, gone. and it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah. it's not the same. Um, it does. It gives you a different and a greater appreciation for real food. And I think, um, you know, one thing in my practice that I find a lot is um, clients coming in to see me, and if they're dealing with food issues, they are so disheartened um, about how, how difficult it is to make some of these changes, and they feel like just defeated because – they try to make some of these changes and then they end up eating a bag of chips or ice cream or, you know, these different kinds of things. And I tell them, you know, they their brain is not set up to eat in our society today. The, the foods, if you're buying packaged foods and processed foods, they're created in a way to set the brain off. Yeah, they hijack your dopamine system. Right. The, the, yeah. the scientists create these foods. Um, so they hit this bliss factor, which makes it so that it overrides your Sadie signals. By the way, guys, anybody listening, there's an excellent book on this topic mm-hmm. called The Hungry Brain by Stephen Guinea. And it's fantastic. If you want to know how real food is like impacts your brain differently than the processed stuff, which is mm-hmm. literally designed not to taste good, but to taste craveable. It's weird. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. And so... <laughs> It can be hard, I think, for some people, especially if what you're used to is eating is like Doritos or cookies or, um, you know, these highly palatable foods or that bland apple that's out of season. Of course, you are not going to want to eat that bland apple. But I really feel like if you're exposed to, to fresh produce at its best, it's delicious. It's mm-hmm. really good. It's not I mean, a sacrifice. No, no. I mean, it is still a little bit of a sacrifice. It, it was funny. <laughs> I again, I was talking to my son um, yesterday about some bl- uh, some blackberries that we had bought, and he, I said, "How are they?" He said, "They're delicious." 
obviously they're still not as good as ice cream, but <laughs> he said, but of course they're not as good as ice cream, you know? And I said, you're right. You know, you're not comparing apples to apples, you know? So, and, and, and eventually you do change too. Like I would rather have blackberries and ice cream almost any day of the week. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would too, but if I were 10, I think that, um, exactly. I probably would see things a little bit different. Exactly. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. Right. That's right. There's room for ice cream as well as room yes. for blackberries. So, yes. So that's kind of how uh, the journey has happened for me. Um, but definitely it's been small changes over time. When I look back now at, you know, two years ago or one year ago, um, there's no way that I could have woken up January 1st and said, this is how I'm going to live my life. And these are this is how I'm going to prepare food. And I'm going to implement all of these things. Um, it would never have lasted because mm, it would yeah. be too difficult. You can't. It takes too much use of your frontal lobes that, you know, the organizing and planning piece to be able to make a big change. It's going to be lasting change because you need to be able to move those different habits back into your procedural memory. So you're not relying so much on really on um, using your willpower and using, you know, your, your executive functioning skills. Yeah, that's a really good point. I agree that this is when, when somebody comes in, you know, for example, if somebody starts out and they're just like, I'm in, they're like, you know, at, at a realization point, they're like, I'm mm -hmm. so out of shape. I'm so unhealthy. Like they have maybe had, they had a wake up call from their doctor right. or from a family member or something of, of that nature. And they're like, I need to make a massive change in my life. And so they're thinking already massive change. And so they think that they need to do everything at once. Right. But that is not how success happens. Mm -hmm. And I know, yeah, for me, like people forget, like I wasn't always like, Daria Rose, summer tomato foodist. Like I used mm -hmm. to be a power bar eating, like slim fast drinking, total, like I would burn everything in the kitchen. I, <laughs> it was like, I was terrible at this stuff. I went to Italy and I remember just like staring at my roommates. It was the first time in my life I'd ever lived with somebody who like cooked food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and I was just, you know, I was mesmerized by what they were doing, but still I was like only making salad because I was too afraid of the stove and the fire and all that. And it, this transition front to become, you know, what I call a foodist, but it, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. It takes a long time and not because of anything biological or weird. It's just, it's just, you have to go slow because you have no idea what you're doing. So you start out, like I started by making salads because salads don't require cooking and fresh produce from the farmer's market tastes a lot better than the old salads I was mm -hmm. eating. So that was a sort of an easy transition for me. And then, you know, then it, I tackled breakfast and then I tackled lunch at dinners and, you know, it was just sort of this process. So I'd love to hear sort of the first steps you took in your, in your journey, especially given you that you have a family. Cause when I was doing this, I was a student. And so I was really only focused on myself. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say, uh, you know, same again, such a similar story to yours, Daria. I would say initially, probably two years ago, uh, where I was in the kitchen was taking frozen vegetables and microwaving them, like hitting the button that says uh, steam frozen <laughs> vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, putting something on those or putting some beans with those uh, or some chicken with that and serving that to the family. And honestly, they they don't have a problem eating like that. Or uh, it was interesting with, with all of these changes that happened. I'd say one thing that was really instrumental in some of the changes that happened um, I, you know, I have two boys. I have my 10-year-old and I have a 13-year-old. Um, and my 10-year-old has OCD. And you've posted several 
uh, links to research that talks about um, you know the gut bacteria, and you know we've talked a little bit today about the impact of food choices on anxiety and depression. Um, and so he would get really hung up uh, in some rumination of thought. And one of uh, his issues was killing animals. He's always been really, really um, sensitive to any living creature. And, and so he decided, he is, he's very sweet and he's a deep thinker. So he had decided um, about a year ago now that he wanted to become a vegetarian. And he had been, both the boys had been reluctantly on board with me the entire time. So we can talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But he had said to me, you know, I think I want to become a vegetarian. And I said, that is totally fine. But if you become a vegetarian, we really have to make sure you're getting the nutrition that you need. And so that's when we started ordering um, our beans from Rancho Gordo, which are amazing. Oh, my gosh. Those are the best heirloom beans ever. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. The Good Mother Stoddard are, like, amazing. (laughs) And Royal Corona, if anybody is looking to, like, branch in there, that's a good place to start. You can't go wrong with those. Um, But, you know, it required us to really think about how we were going to prepare different kinds of dishes in order to get his nutritional needs met. And really, that was better for all of us overall. But him having that buy-in definitely, I think, made it easier for him to be on board with eating the healthy stuff that we were eating because he felt good about it. And it was interesting because about two months later, my husband and I were talking and he said, you know, I just haven't noticed as much rumination, um, and which means uh, thinking about things and being you know, upset about thinking about certain kinds of things or getting hung up on maybe something that happened at school and these kinds of things. I said, you're right. I, I've noticed that too. And I asked him about that. I asked Will about that. And he said, well, of course, I'm not anxious. I'm not eating animals anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Meaning like, you know, because he's not thinking about eating these animals. But but really, it was also because he he it's healthier for him, I think, in a lot of different kinds of ways. And that was another push for me to make sure that my family was eating um, good food if we were limiting um, a certain uh, food group, right? So Yeah, yeah. That's actually really interesting. So this is something, so I just earlier wanted to emphasize the importance of slowly building up your habits and sort of yeah. expanding your repertoire as you go and being okay with that taking three right. months, six months, a year, two years, yeah. you, know, and that, you know, and you just get better at it over time. It's never, your growth never really stops. But what I hadn't emphasized yet, which you just reminded me is that with each habit, one of the things that propels you and keeps you motivated and keeps you doing it so that it doesn't require willpower is the little reward that you never saw coming. Right. Like you didn't know, like you were just trying to help your son Mm -hmm. make decisions that he could live with well, but you get this other benefit of actually, you know, biologically impacting his emotional state. Yeah. And yeah, I had the same thing. Like I, I, always was a psycho dieter and my motivation was be smaller, mm-hmm. which is actually was very motivating for me for a long time, but I was not anticipating falling in love with food. I was yeah. not anticipating my skin clearing up. I was not anticipating my hair getting thicker. I was not anticipating sleeping better at night. Like all these things 
or, or becoming a part of my community. I was always sort of a loner, like sort mm-hmm. of like isolated and didn't have, I had my like small group of friends, but I never felt like a bigger part of the community around me until I really got involved with the farmer's market and just making friends there. And, you know, having just moved back from San Francisco, I seriously like teared up when I got, right? I was in New York for two years and I moved back to mm-hmm. San Francisco and I, I teared up at the first when I, my first day back at the farmer's market, because I just, I recognized everyone. And, you know, wow. I, I, I was like, these are my friends and I hadn't seen them in so long. And right. I, like there was just not, like, I didn't, like, that was never part of my goal, but it's what happens when you start making small lifestyle changes that you really love and really impact your life for the better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. Building that community. That's really neat. Yeah. And it hasn't always been easy. I think, um, I think it's probably been the hardest for my older son, my 13-year-old. And like I said, I mean, we we were not coming from a place of really, really poor eating. It was, you know, right. having maybe um, Nutri-Grain bars for breakfast or, um, you know, uh, sugar yogurt. I mean, it's it, 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 but, but even with that... Um, I think it can be hard to make some of those shifts, especially if it's not your choice. And so um, there's definitely there was definitely some resistance to that initially, uh, which makes sense because anytime someone is pulling on one end of the rope, you automatically pull back on the other end. And so okay. I think um, I understood that that was going to happen and that if you can ride out that wave, then eventually people will get on board. Um, and to be empathetic to that, I mean, we have had moments of tears about, you know, not getting to eat, you know, cookies and lunch and ice cream at dinner, you know, that you can have one, you know, you can pick one, you, you know, we're just not going to have it all of the time, you know, and we're going to, we're going to replace those things maybe with something else, um, that gives us the nutrition that we need. Um, and so at this point, uh, he, you know, I asked him, I said, it's, is there anything that I should say? And he said, yeah, I still hate it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's also really important. I think sometimes we have these success story conversations and it seems like this is the end of the chapter and I'm closing the book and it's happily ever after. And that's not (laughs) right. That's not life. That's not reality. And so, um, you know, he will, I'm sure, grow up and one day thank me for everything that I've done and, you know, probably still be a little resentful that his friends are drinking, um, you know, soda at lunch or sneaking in donuts or something like that. I have a feeling he gets his fair share from other people. So I don't feel all that (laughs) bad about it. But being able to ride that out, you know, when he when he's been upset about um, eating something new, eating, you know, eggplant that he's not super into. The other thing that I've done with um, with the whole family, and this kind of goes along with that mindfulness piece that you do, um, is when we're eating something new, looking at what we like about what it is that we're eating and what we don't like. So for instance, if we're eating um, squash and it's been... Um, it's been like steamed or something like that. My older son, he's real sensitive to textures. And so he might say, you know, this is disgusting. It's too mushy. I don't like the way it feels, you know? And so Mm -hmm. the next time we prepare it, now I know, okay, we don't like the mushiness of it, right? Or we don't like the seasoning on this thing. And so we can try it a different way. It's not black and white. It's not, I've tried it like this and I don't like it like this. It's an experiment and it's kind of exploring different tastes and flavors and profiles to figure out what makes you enjoy it. And the great news is I know they love Mexican food, right? So I can take 
uh, Mexican food, you know, seasonings and pretty much put it on anything and they'll eat it and be happy with it. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. So yeah, I was going to ask, given your training in psychology, Mm -hmm. what tactics you use to, you know, he, if he hates it, he's still doing it. So that's a win. (laughs) I think most moms would be like, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I, yeah. So, so that, that's been one of your main strategies is to help them see some nuance in the different properties of food and isolate the single thing that is not enjoyable and maybe try to selectively move that part rather than just dismiss all squash as right gross because if you roast it it has a it's more of a chewy texture or whatever or if it's raw it's crunchy the the biggest piece to that besides the fact that then they can figure out things for themselves i mean that's it's the socratic method right Mm -hmm. um you know asking questions and being a problem solver but also it gives him control right so Mm -hmm. here's a situation where i'm saying dude you know all you have to eat in the house is fresh produce and roasted roasted vegetables and you know we have you know some ice cream that you can have here and there or some nuts or whatever the situation is he doesn't have a lot of control so if i can give him control and how some of that is prepared he's going to feel um much more engaged in the process and um and not feel out of control right and so um that makes it just a win-win Really. Got it. Yeah, that's that's really smart. Cause right, because if you feel like everything's just being imposed on you, your mm-hmm. reaction is like you said, to rebel. Right. No matter what. Whether even right. even if it's not even if you don't hate everything about it, you right. hate being imposed upon. <laughs> so right. if you can if you can restore some of that power and say, Listen, I, I hear you. Let's look, let's let's address that one thing and not be crazy here right. and throw out the baby with the bathwater, then you you can be it sounds like you've got very reasonable children. <laughs> I do. And, and I think, you know, part of that, too. I mean, they're they're smart. Um, they're smart kids and they conceptualize well. And so, you know, we've also watched several documentaries that look at um, either, you know, the food systems uh, or the nutrition in foods or, you know, like I love um, Yoni Friedhoff and how he talks about nutritionism. Uh, and so we'll read some of his stuff together from uh, Weighty Matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I love how he'll post. You know, it'll be like um, Iron Kid's bread with omega-3s. And then underneath, he'll talk about how you need to eat 37 pieces of bread to equal like an eighth of a piece of fish or something like that, <laughs> you know. So they they are really, um, they're good at that kind of stuff. Easton, that's my oldest. He loves to go to school. And then um, he gets a kick out of asking, you know, they're not supposed to eat sugar at the school that they're at. And so he'll say, so I can't bring in oreos but it's okay for me to bring in apple juice and um a neutral grain bar and they'll say yeah that's totally fine and he thinks that's so funny because you know he's like you know he's looking at food yes exactly (laughs) he's like you're dumb you don't know what you're talking Uh uh-huh uh-huh so he likes to come home and report about things like that or they they can get jamba juice at school which is just it's a little surprising but i'm glad (laughs) the school's getting some money from it so that's good too (laughs) (laughs) okay cool i love that so you negotiate and reason with your children and they don't love it all the time, but it works for you guys. That's great. Right. And, and I think also, you know, if you're, if there are people that are listening that are younger, they have younger kids. Um, it's also important to understand the palate of a child's mouth or any kind of like sensory integration issues. So that stuff is real. Um, kids, they don't have the same, you know, taste bud profile as adults do. And so they may taste something and, um, and not like it or not be able to handle the texture of something, which is also why it's important to expose them when they're like under the age of 10 to a lot of different um, flavors, uh, because that helps to develop that uh, the, the flavor profile. Yeah, that's actually really important. So 
what you're talking about is it's exposure. So for those mm-hmm. of you who have young picky children, yeah, it's normal. But the, all the research says that the one of the reasons kids reject foods is because one of the, the main reasons is because it's unfamiliar and that just makes them uncomfortable and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so exposing them to the food in different ways, in a pleasant way, not like forcing them, but saying, you know, one bite here, maybe giving them a sticker if they taste it mm-hmm. and and doing that, it needs to be done like 10 to 12 to mm-hmm. more time, more in some <laughs> cases. You know, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's definitely a dedication effort, but eventually it's no longer unfamiliar and they may start to accept it at that point. So yeah, there's people who will never like olives or whatever, but, but that is a method that is backed up by science to get kids to, at least when they're older, not be not still eat like toddlers right well and that's what i was going to say and it works for adults as well i've actually had um clients that come in and we do exposure therapy with uh foods that you know they have uh, sensory integration disorder uh, they have a difficult time with textures or different kinds of taste with their palate or they are just used to eating uh only fast foods i work with them on integrating new foods and getting more comfortable with that because that can create a lot of anxiety for someone yeah, I've done it on myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, I've trained myself to like all sorts of stuff. By the way, I have that gene that makes cilantro taste like soap. Uh huh. And I hated it. I hated it when I was a kid. I would pick it out of salsa. <laughs> like so, I would just. And now, can you tolerate it? Or I love did it. you really? Yeah, okay, I buy it all now the time. that's yeah, that's fascinating. Every once in a while, it'll be in a dish, and I'll be not loving it. You know, like it, mm-hmm. it'll be just in a certain way. Maybe it'll be too much cilantro or. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something I'll, and I'll taste soap. I will be like, that just tastes like soap to me. That's yeah. disgusting. But for some reason, most of the time, I love it now. And for me, a big part of it was exposing it myself to it in different forms. So I'd always grown up eating Mexican food. I, my family's Mexican, and I grew up in Southern California. So yeah. multiple times a week, we ate Mexican food, and I just mm-hmm. didn't like the cilantro. But later in my life, I discovered Vietnamese food and Indian food and other things where it just tasted different in that context. And for some reason, it at some point, it just clicked over. And now I can enjoy it in Mexican food as well. So, yeah, well, for any cilantro for haters, <laughs> this, all this stuff. You, I mean, the, the main ingredient you need is an open mind. And just right. believing that you can learn to like new foods. Right. But it's right. not going to happen ma- magically. And it's not going to happen by itself. You have to keep trying. No, and you can build on what you're already doing. I mean, I think that's the great thing about um, where we live is we there's so much information. I mean, I do I do see some people who have no idea about what's healthy or not healthy, but most people have a general idea, and most people try, you know. Right. And so it's it's so much easier, I think, to take what you're already doing and then add to to what you're already doing that's that you're doing well, right? So you know, if you're if you're already eating, you know, the salad or something like that, um, adding ingredients to make that salad maybe a little bit more hearty. Um, or if you're eating spaghetti, adding extra vegetables to the spaghetti to make it, you know, to go a little bit farther, you know, um, and, and then that takes a lot less work and it eventually, you know, it crowds out the other stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, you know, I, I look at it a lot too, like, you know, when you're working with your little kids, toddlers, it's a lot more effective to give the toddler what you want them to do direction in the direction that you want them to do than to tell them to stop doing whatever they're doing that's wrong right Mm -hmm. Uh, and so using some of the same stuff that we use with our kids um, with ourselves in all areas of our lives that we're trying to improve I think can be really effective yeah great point 
So you, you guys, as a family, you started on this journey about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. And so your son has have had some emotional benefit. He's switched to vegetarian. There, every it sounds like everybody's just eating a lot more vegetables. Yeah, and is a lot healthier. What would you say are like? Why does this feel like such a big win for you? Hmm, that's a good question. I think probably because, you know, I guess I look at it from a lot of different ways. I think it's a big win for me when I think about uh, the way my family looks at current events uh, and the planet as a whole and looking at uh, some of the things that we've decided to do to reduce our carbon footprint. And this just fits along in the lines you know, with that, um, as well as even though we all, you know, we're eating relatively healthy to be able to support our local farmers uh, and to eat food that tastes good, not just food that is healthy, um, is a pretty big deal to me. And and then also growing up, you know, like I said, my mom would combine ingredients that she had bought at the store, but she wasn't much of a, a chef or a cook. Um, for me to be able to you know, trust my ability to season things and put things together and get a positive response from my family is huge because that I, I swallowed kind of that same thought pattern, right, about myself of, you know, well, I'm not a cook. I don't like to cook. I don't like to prepare, you know, and I realized that that's not actually true. I um, I find it very almost meditative. You know, I wake up in the morning. I wake up super early. I go to bed super early, too, but I wake up early in the morning and I think about, you know, what you know, fruits and vegetables do we want to have today? And I spend probably about 10 minutes in the morning drinking my coffee and, you know, cutting up watermelon or cantaloupe um, or whatever vegetables I'm going to roast. And then I have all that ready to throw in the oven or for when my kids get up and they want to get something to eat. I mean, that's the other thing I think that's been, that made the transition more easy is that I would have all of this stuff already prepared. So when the kids walk in, instead of grabbing a handful of Cheerios, they grab a handful of blueberries. You know, it's it's the act of the eating, right? You know, and so people generally do whatever's most convenient. And so having these other items available that are more convenient, rather than, you know, not, you know, there's just not the cereal maybe as, as readily available as it used to be anyway, you know, they, they tend to go and grab those things that are on the counter or that are on the shelf there in the refrigerator that's uh, ready for them. Um, so I think watching some of that, you know, I've, like I said, I've always eaten healthy, um, but to be able to just observe my kids start to make some of those choices on their own without maybe much thought involved in doing it uh, is, it's really cool to see. It's really neat to see. That's awesome. It's really interesting. Everything you described. So I think when most people think about why to be healthy, they're very sort of, what's the word, mundane reasons. You know, I want to lower my cholesterol. I want to, you know, maybe it's sometimes a little bigger, like, oh, I want to live longer. I don't want to have heart disease like my dad or something like that. But everything you said was like so like high on Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I got a good life. Like, it's all like purpose driven <laughs> and and inspirational yeah. and value driven. And I think that's, you know, I, I say this a lot, but I don't think it's hard to really make it sink in for people how important it is. Mm-hmm. Like when you're living in line with how you believe like would make the world a better place and you feel like you're contributing to that. That is an amazing feeling because that means that no matter what happens in your day, no matter what mistakes you may make or whatever, 
you can still look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm doing my best. I, I care. I'm a good person and I'm living in line with the things I value and believe in. And you can't really like, like you can't buy that sort of peace of mind, right? Like that's a, it's incredibly powerful. And as a motivator as well, because it starts to become, you know, we talk about, I talk about limiting beliefs a lot, right? But this is the opposite. It's an expansive belief. Right, right. It's a belief that helps you do more in the world, not less. Mm -hmm. It helps you live more up to your potential than less. And that is cool. (laughs) Like that is when you're like really in a good place. So congratulations. That's really fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and I think um, it's interesting to hear you uh, reflect back some of some of my thoughts um, because it, it also um, it reminds me like that's I've never really thought about it in the same way that you just uh, said it, but that's one of the techniques I use in my practice is you know who do you see yourself as right you know you ask yourself like you know I'm the kind of person who what right and so if you're thinking about yourself from that from that place, it's a lot easier to make these kinds of choices. I'm the kind of person who cares about, you know, my local farmers, who cares about my planet, who cares about, you know, my my kids and and their stress levels. Uh, and it makes it a lot easier because because you're not necessarily going like, okay, I'm going to eat this many calories or this many carbs or this is good or this is bad. Instead, it is. It's a, it's a more global view on how uh, you see the world. And so when you're operating from that, it doesn't feel like a this or that kind of choice. It just feels like, you know, living your life. Yeah. So it's so much more inspirational. Like when just hearing you say like, oh, do I want to spend my days counting calories and carbs and protein and fat and like, you know, measuring my steps on the treadmill? Or do I want to support my community and make the world a better place and fight global warming? It's like, like no contests, right? Well, you know, and, and obviously, I mean, I guess the other piece to that is I'm not totally not vain, you know? I mean, like you talked about before, maybe you weren't necessarily hoping to get some of these other benefits that you got when you made the changes, but I certainly enjoy um, the energy that I have, uh, you know, the clear skin, my, you know, my body and how I fit in clothes and, you know, all of these other pieces. I mean, but, but all of that then becomes wonderful secondary benefits that I get from being able to really enjoy and be, be excited about the initial, you know, the, the primary goals that I have. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's really important or how should I say it? It's, difficult to realize that when you're stuck in the problem, mm-hmm. when you're obsessed with the details and you're like, well, I don't know how, how am I going to fix it? If, you know, I need to lose X amount of pounds and if I don't count carbs, what do I do? And it, and it is hard to see the bigger picture that when you get the values right and when you get the motivation right, when you get your habits right, it really, those th- questions really do become secondary. And it, it's, the most liberating blessing ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, when you think about it, those are the things that are making most people miserable, right? right. Is, is focusing on the carbs and the, and the protein and, right. the, and the calories. And that it, it ends. Like that ends when you figure all this stuff out and you can mm-hmm. get past that and back so that you're living in line with your values. And, you know, and, and you're right. That does include being healthy and fit and sometimes, you know, and looking a certain way sometimes, not so... It doesn't need to be superficial. I, I talk about this a lot. You're right. That 
I'm not not vain. <laughs> we, we all have that. And it's valid. Mm-hmm. There's there's valid reasons to care about those things. But it just becomes very secondary when, right. when this is who you are. You know, and, and I, I think the other piece to that when I talk to um, maybe other people that have some of these struggles is, you know, I say, you know, the way that you look and the way that you see yourself are not one and the same. And so, you know, my job is to help you change how you see yourself. And if you change how you see yourself, if you're thinking about yourself as, you know, I'm the kind of person who, you know, when when you're thinking about yourself and honoring that person, that's when you start to get the changes in the way you look, you know, and the way you feel and, you know, all of the rest of that stuff comes along with it. That was really profound. <laughs> thank you for um, saying that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, do you have, I'm, I'm curious, do you have anything to add about, you know, because I mean, specifically you you work with people who struggle with this like I do. And I'm curious, do you, do you have anything to add about that, your practice there and, and any way that this has changed for you in that way? Yes, I mean, um, definitely. I've, um, I think I had mentioned um, at one point to the person that screens your calls and your emails, you know, I've actually taken people with me to the farmer's market, you know, and that, that's also kind of like an exposure therapy, right? You know, being able to go in because it's so overwhelming for people when they're thinking about making some of these changes. Um, and so that's, that's a, a, a one thing that I've done with a couple of people that I work with, you know, or I've, you know, I've brought things in from the farmer's market. So when I'm, when I'm working with them on making some changes in what they're eating, they're getting good stuff, you know, um, when we're, <laughs> when we're exposing them to something new instead of maybe something that, um, has been sitting on a shelf for a while. And then, you know, actually I've referred, uh, several people to your blog, uh, and, um, you know, I, I think that you do really, really good work in how you, you know, talk with people and uh, expose them to information because we have so much information out there about the quick fix or should I be eating this or what's the new superfood? And it's really not that complicated. You know, it right. really is not that complicated, but it takes time. And so, even looking at it, like you said, you know, you look at maybe changes that are made over a year, year and a half, two years, three years. It's not something that you make a change for a while and then you go back to what you're doing before. You know, so I, I think when I'm talking with people in my practice, if it's more kind of clear cut about what the difference is, you know, if we're looking at just kind of setting up how how we're uh, reacting with food or, you know, behavior modification uh, techniques, if it's not anything super complicated with an emotional component, it, they've got to be changes that um, are going to stay with you forever, you know, that that it is part of your new, you know, lifestyle. And so I think I I've probably become a little bit more strong in my voicing of how trying to do certain diets that are out there now that maybe require eating 800 or 1200 calories. I mean, I've literally had people come into my office who are on, you know, the, a diet where they get a shot from the doctor and they're coming in to see me, not because of the food stuff, but because they're having panic attacks. And I say you're having panic attacks because you're flooding yourself with adrenaline and you have no food in your system. And so you're lightheaded and um, and your heart is racing. And it's because of, you know, what you're doing under um, under this plan. You know, as soon as we stop that nonsense and start treating your body the way you should be treating your body, you're going to be fine. You know, 
Uh, and then you wow. can you can maintain whatever losses that you have from the the shifts in how you're seeing and, and interacting with food. Um, so I, I do think that that's been a big one. I mean, it's very hard um, for people to see that just because they've lost 10 or 15 pounds doing something for two weeks, that it didn't work if they gained that 15 pounds back. <laughs> yeah, right. They're like, but it worked for me in the past. It's right, like, no, right. There's no past. <laughs> <laughs> and it was miserable. I mean, even if it did work, what an and awful way miserable. to spend any of your life. Right. Well, that's amazing. And I'm I'm so happy that you're helping people. It's such important work. And it's, it is so, it's, it is, it's so hard. It's like so hard to um, reframe this stuff this way because our entire culture, including the doctors and, and a lot of people who should have better information are, are pushing messages that are simply in, counterproductive. They're just counterproductive. Yeah. And undoing that is, is very important and very difficult. And that's awesome that, that you're making progress there and having so much success there. It's great. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess um, we, we can't be too hard on the doctors. I, um, I've just started collaborating with a practice uh, to help um, their patients who are working with working through some of these food issues and coming up with a more holistic approach to um, uh, changing, you know, the food mentality and figuring out how to eat um, to manage, you know, whether it's diabetes or just wanting weight loss or um, other other you know new diagnoses that have come up. So, I mean, there there are obviously good doctors out there, absolutely, um, and and they are getting more. I think the awareness is definitely spreading, yeah. but I yeah. still had somebody tell me this year that I could drink Diet Coke while I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> um, oh, awesome. Well, and yeah, and, and for all those doctors out there that are doing good yeah. work and, and are not, you know, are, 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 not, are not ignoring the psychology essentially mm-hmm. is what it comes down to. Right. Is, you know props to you (laughs) and keep it up and spread the word because I mean, that's really where the change needs to happen is Mm -hmm. that we just, we can't treat the the human body and the human mind like a machine and a robot that we can just program to do what we want because that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And when you portray the message that that's how it should work, then that means the person's a failure if they're not working like a robot and it does. And that just defeats them Mm and makes them feel shame and they want to give up. So it's not helpful. And, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have yeah. a few things to say about that topic. <laughs> um, all right, Jamie. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you and congratulations to you and your family. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thanks for your uh, integral part in that. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Foodist Podcast. I'm Daria Rose. And if you're interested in upgrading your own health style, learning how to get healthy and lose weight without dieting and without all of the suffering that it brings, then head over to my website, Summer Tomato, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. When you sign up, you'll get a free starter kit that'll teach you the basics of how to start changing the way you think about food, health, and weight loss. You'll also get a free chapter from my book, Foodist, called The Myth of Willpower that explains the science behind why the no pain, no gain mantra of the weight loss industry is the absolute worst approach to getting healthy. So come over to Summer Tomato and sign up. We have a fantastic community and we would love, love, love to have you. Thanks for listening and I will see you next time.